0: The gospel really does change everything. That word gospel, it means good news. It is the good news of God's radical, limitless, unbounded, life-changing love for you and me. We are starting a brand new series today on love. Love of God. How do we love the church? How do we love our families? How do we love the world. Well, this morning I want to wrestle with the foundational question that we have to answer before we can answer any other question about love, and it's, does God really love me? I think in our world today, we are obsessed with love, aren't we? And you look at the movies we watch, uh, the music we listen to, the books we read, the TV shows, the magazines, everything in our world is delivering its message about what love is, and we are just soaking it all in. We are saturated, and we can't get enough. And we're all looking for love. The problem is, it's like the old, old country song, we're we're looking for love in all the wrong places. We're not really even sure what kind of love we want. And we bounce back and forth between all kinds of different love. One moment we're looking for romantic love, right? Candlelight dinners. Another moment we want, you know, friendship love. or we, We're looking for family love. We're not really sure what kind of love is going to fulfill us. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that there is a love that is deeper, that is greater, that is more sustaining than any other kind of love. And it's the love that God has for us and invites us into. As you read through the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, every single time it talks about uh, God's love for us, it uses a Greek word, agape. And that is God's love for us. Agape kind of love it is a love that is sacrificial. It is self-giving. It is unconditional. It comes from the giver without merit, without earning from the other person. It is totally self-giving and self-initiated. That is the love that God has for us. That God has a love for us that knows no bounds and knows no limits. It is God giving of himself to us regardless of what we give in return. God is always moving toward us. That's the kind of love that God has for us. But the question that we really need to wrestle with is, do I really, really believe that God loves me that way? Do I really rest in that? Now, what does this love of God look like? It's like the famous passage uh, that everybody knows. We'll probably see it on somebody's eye black or somebody's cleat this afternoon as we watch the Super Bowl, that famous passage, John 3, 16, right, we could probably all recite that. Let's read it together just so we remind ourselves of what God's love looks like. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God's kind of love, the love that he's inviting us into, is a love that gives. It's not based on feeling or a warm, you know, warm and cozy kind of feeling. It's not based on emotion. It's not wishy-washy, but it is always faithful and true and committed. It's unchanging. It's unconditional. It never stops. That God is always moving toward us. It's not something that happens to you. It's not like you're just walking around and you fall into this kind of love. It's not a kind of love that you can fall out of. It's a choice and a decision and a commitment that God makes to us and that he invites us to make to him and to one another. This is the kind of love that that God is, is leading us into. It's his unchanging commitment to us. Here's a quick, simple definition of what love looks like that God gives to us. It's a tangible act to bless another person as an expression of commitment and favor. That's what God is doing in our lives. He he has a tangible reality. He gives of himself. He gave his son. He gives his spirit. He gives the church. He gives his love to us in a tangible way that you can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it, you experience it. Not based on how God is feeling or how we feel, but on his unchanging commitment to bless us, to give us his favor, because he's committed to us. He wants to be in a relationship with us. He wants to do life with us. And every single time we come to God and say, God, do you really love me like that? The answer is yes. You know, we've all heard, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Uh, I would add to that, Jesus loves me, this I know, for history tells me so. As we see what Jesus did in and through the world, historically, historically. Accounted for. I would say for the, the life of the church, tells me so. For the presence of the Holy Spirit, tells me so. For God's constant ongoing activity in the world, tells me that God's love me, loves me because I can see it and I can hear it and I can feel it. It's a tangible reality. So let's look in and see just exactly where this love comes from and what is it that it can do in our lives. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 today. Romans chapter 5, encourage you to turn there in your Bibles. always encourage you to to bring a Bible that you can read and understand. If you don't have one that you can read and understand, let us know so we can get one into your hands. Uh, But let's look together. Romans chapter 5, and we'll start in verse 6. This is what Paul writes. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. Love starts with God. Love starts with God. It is 100% completely, utterly, totally initiated by God. It is God's movement toward us before we ever think about moving toward God. It is 100% His pursuit of us. Completely unmerited, completely unearned. There is nothing that we could ever do to measure up to the greatness of God, nothing we could ever do to make ourselves worthy of the love of God. And so he initiates it. He moves toward us. He makes it happen. It is his start from, to move in our lives and, and shape us and change us and bring us into life with him, 100% initiated by God. From the beginning of time, did you know that God has been pursuing you? From the beginning of time, God knew that you would be here this morning, that you would be worshiping at Gettin' Church, that you would hear this Scripture, and that He would have an opportunity either to tell you for the first time or to bring you back or to encourage you that He loves you. The the reality that changed my life was that God didn't just love the world, that He loved me. Do you really believe that? Do you believe that God is pursuing you? Can you answer uh, confidently, that does God love me? Yes. Did you know that, that every time you see God moving in your life, every time you hear God's voice, he was always active and moving and speaking way before we saw it or heard it. And so if you're in a place in a season this morning and you're saying, God, I don't know where you are. I can't hear your voice. I don't know what you're doing. He's already at work in your life. How can we look back in our lives and say, I've seen God at work, and that is evidence that God loves me. And from all of history, this has been the way God is. He pursues us from the creation of the universe. Why would God create the world? Why would he give us life? So that he could give us his love. Why would God uh, make, do miracles in our lives so that he could show us his love? Why would he make the promises he gives so he could remind us of his love? Why does he give us instructions of how to do life so that we can live in his love? Why did he give us his son Jesus so that we could be restored and brought back into his love? Why does he give us his Holy Spirit so that we can be empowered in his love? Why does he give us this beautiful movement and community called the church so that we can live together in the mission of his love? He's always been pursuing you. He's always been pursuing me. Always been pursuing us. Way before we ever moved toward God. Paul writes three words to describe the condition that we live in, that even in the midst of that, God made a move toward us. Let's put that scripture back up there for just a second. Look at the way Paul talks about the condition of our lives. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, we were weak. There was nothing we could do about it. Christ died for the what? For the ungodly. And then he writes, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God shows his love to us in our weakness while we are powerless. That we are weak in the sense that we can't do anything to move our lives in the direction that God wants for us, that we really want for us. Our best efforts tend to fall short, as no matter how hard I try, I I can't change my will, my desires. I have a hard time changing the way that I think, the, the world, the way I see the world, and I certainly can't change the heart or mind of anybody else. And I continue to fall on my face time and time and time again when I do it on my own power. We're weak. But even in our weakness, God is pursuing us. And we're ungodly. That our lives are are a distortion. It's a twisting of the life that God wants for us, the life that God created us for. We are not a clear reflection of the greatness of God, of His purity, of His beauty, of His majesty, of His power, of His wisdom, or of His love. We do not reflect that clearly in the choices and the lives that we live. Yet even In the twisted nature of our lives, God says, I love you and I'm pursuing you. And Paul says we're sinners. That every single one of us here, everybody watching online, all of us, have had seasons, moments, maybe even lives that we're living today where we reject God, where we say, God, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure I want to do life your way. God, I'm not sure I want to go all in. I'm not sure I want to submit. Can I just say a little prayer, God, and and have a checkbox done? And just, I can get to heaven one day, but I can live life my way now. But I'm not really sure I want to go all in with you. All of us have rejected God. And we say to him, God, this is about my life. And we're all sinners. And we're all broken. But even while we were sinners, in the middle of our rejection of God, God said, I love you. And I'm for you. And I'm moving to you. And I want to bring salvation into your life. And with that, I will give everything. I'll give everything for you. And I truly, truly believe if we can get to a place not where we say we believe it or we're supposed to believe it or this is what I believe as a Christian. Or, but where we really believe it in the deepest places of our being. When we trust that Jesus, that the Father, that God loves me, then it changes everything about our lives. Paul continues to write and he begins to describe of of what this love looks like when it gets hold of us. If we were to continue in verse 9, he says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Understand, there's a a truth, a a theology about what Christ does in our lives. when we say yes to God and we say Jesus I trust that you died for me I trust that you love me I trust that you set me free that, that I can have life in you then from that moment forward with a real faith and a real trust I am in Christ and Christ is in me that my whole life is wrapped up in Christ so that everything that Jesus Christ the Son of God experiences is bestowed on me and in his death And in his life, in his resurrection, Paul says that we experience the love of God in a tangible reality, a tangible way. I can see it, I can hear it, I can feel it. And he gives us three expressions of what that looks like in these verses that we just read. Paul tells us that God, in his love, restores, rescues, and redeems. He restores, he rescues, and redeemed. Let's, let's talk about each. In his love, God restores. Because of God's love, my relationship with the Father is restored. And when you really, really love somebody, you want to do life with them. You want to be connected with them. You want your life to be wrapped up in their life. You want to be close to them. And that's the way God looks at us. Because of his love for you and for me, he wants his life to be wrapped up in our lives. He wants our lives to be wrapped up in his. But here's the big problem. Because we are ungodly, because we are sinners, because we have rejected God, we're in the midst of a holy God. He's perfect in every way. His holiness means he's set apart. So in his purity, he's set apart. He's like no other. In his beauty, he's set apart like no other. In his power, in his majesty, in his wisdom, he is set apart like no other. And we can never measure up. And that was a boundary between us and God. There was no way. And so where there was no way, God made a way. And he sent his son Jesus that we could be restored to him, that the boundary, that the wall would be broken down. And when Jesus came and he lived a perfect life, and he gave his life in obedience, he gave a a sinner's death, even though he was perfect without fault, he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he took your sin and my sin, he took your brokenness and my brokenness, your rejection and my rejection, and he took it into his body. He took it into himself, and then he took all of that sin and that brokenness and that death, and he took it to the grave, and when it took it to the grave, he destroyed it forever so that our guilt is gone. Do you understand that? That Jesus took it all and he destroyed it. And now when God looks at you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you really believe that God loves you as you are, That he sent his son to die for you in the middle of your rejection. When we trust in that, God looks at you and he does not see your guilt. All he sees is the righteousness of his son. And our relationship can be restored. In his love, God restores us. In his love, he also rescues us. He sets us free. Look at what Paul writes in verse 10. He said while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled, so we were restored to Him through the death of His Son. But how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? That in His love, God saves us, He rescues us. If in His death, He restored us to God, in His life, He sets us free from sin that God came not to make good pe- or bad people good, but to make dead people alive, that we have a hope of heaven, that we have a hope of a future, we have a hope of eternity with God, and even though I'm getting to heaven one day, heaven can come to me today, and God wants to begin a work in me, and he wants to set me free, that sin and bondage just no longer has to have a hold on me. And I can be rescued That the brokenness doesn't have to hold me. That the despair doesn't have to hold me. That the hopelessness does not have to hold me. That the broken relationships do not have to hold me. That the doubt and the fear and the shame do not have to hold me because I've been rescued by the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is God's love for us. God created the universe knowing what it would cost. Knowing that he, he would have to give his son for you and for me. To be restored, to be rescued. Why did he do it? Why did he pay the cost? Because of his deep, unbounded, unfiltered, passionate love for you. And his love for me. And that love is so great that he doesn't just stop there. But there's one more step. He restores He rescues. He also wants to redeem. He wants to make your life. He wants to shape and transform and set you free so that your life looks like what it was intended to be. Look at what Paul writes again, verse 11. He says, not only is this so, not only are we restored, not only are we rescued, but we also boast in God." Through our, love, through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that we can boast in God? Because we, and increasingly so, we experience the power of God's love in our life. The more that I experience the restoration, that I can commit and connect to God, the more that I'm rescued, that sin doesn't have its hold on me like it used to, that I'm being changed in how I feel and how I think and what I want and the direction of my life, I begin to experience more and more and more the amazing power of God's grace and God's love in my life. And because of it, I can boast of what God has done for me and who my God is and the greatness and the beauty and the power of who he is. See, all of these things that we talk about, these expressions of love we talk about in the church, things like obedience, things like worship, things like serving, uh, things like faithfulness and, and, and serving God, all of these things are an expression of a response to the love already given, not an earning of the love that we want. That all we can do is receive and respond, knowing that we'll never earn up or merit or measure up to what what God's standard is. All we can do is receive the love freely given and let Him do the redeeming. Let me share with you the struggle, the challenge that I've faced over the last couple of weeks as i prepared this message. I know that probably for every single person here and everybody watching online, this is not the first time you've heard this. We've all heard John 3.16. We've all heard God loves me. We've all heard Jesus died for me. And for the most part, most of us think that we believe it we think that we trust it we think that we're all in when they say we're a christian and we go to church and because we're in a bible study we serve on a mission trip or because we we said a prayer we think that we trust in the love of god but how much more does god want for us even in my own life, standing here before you, teaching and preaching and helping hopefully to lead the church faithfully, I continue to struggle with this, this call to really trust that Jesus loves me. So a, a moment of confession, maybe this doesn't apply to you, but it, it at least does to me. I find myself living with these two struggles that seem to be on polar opposites, these extremes of, of doubt, of fear, of shame. On one day, I'll find myself just really wrestling with God could not love a person like me. God, He knows my past. He knows my history. He knows my failure. He knows my shame. And even it doesn't really matter what's happening in my brain. My heart takes over and I feel like I've got to earn God's love. I've got to earn His favor. And I push and I strive and I I go 100 miles an hour. And it's not driven by gratitude. It's driven by fear and it's driven by shame. And I'm trying to get to that place where maybe God could love me. And then other days I get to a place where I'm rested and I'm secure and I believe that that God really loves me, but but I get to a place where like, okay, God loves me, I'm going to heaven, now I can get on with the rest of my life and do what I want to do. And I realize that when I'm in either of these places, that I'm missing one of, if not two, important realities about the love of God. That I'm either, I really don't believe that God loves me. I really don't trust that God loves me as I am, not as I should be. Or, I don't realize the greatness of his love. Because if I truly trust and believe that God loves me, there is no shame, there is no doubt, there is, or there is no fear. That even in my doubts and my questions that I'm, I'm pursuing God and I know he's with me. And I know he's for me, and I know he loves me. And when I realize the greatness of God's love, there is nothing in my life that is off limits. It is not getting on with the rest of my life, because God's love is my life. It is all of my life. It is every part of my life. And how I, I am just out of gratitude, and out of thanksgiving, and out of awe, and out of just response to what he's done, I give everything to him. And it all comes back to this this beginning point of, do I really trust? I want you to wrestle with that question this morning. I know you've heard this before. But do you really trust in the deepest part of your being? And do you know the greatness of God's love? And so we start and we say, God, I want to receive your love. I want it to be real for me. And then the next question that we can ask is, God, can I have more of you? Can I have more of your love? Can I have more of your grace? Can I have more of your power? Can I have more of your wisdom? Can I have more clarity of what you're doing in my life? And God's answer will always be, it always is, a resounding yes. God can I have more of you, yes. God can I have more of your, your wisdom, yes. God can I have more of your grace, yes. God can I have more, more of your power in my life, yes. God can I have more calling to serve you, yes. God can I have more of your grace in my life, yes. God can I have more forgiveness, yes. Can I have more clarity around who you are and what you want to do in my life, yes. God's desire has always been to move toward you and make his love real. That was the whole purpose of Jesus his whole life, was to bring God's love from heaven to earth, to make it real. And he wanted it to be clear what he's doing. And so just before Jesus was to give up his life for us, Jesus had a special meal with his disciples. It was the Passover meal. It was the meal where they gathered and they celebrated. They remembered how God had passed over the people of Israel. And rather than giving them death, he brought them life. Life that they didn't deserve. Life that they didn't earn. He did it in his love. And God knew that he was about to do something brand new. And Jesus knew that God was about to do something brand new. And he wanted to to give a picture and a way to remember. So he gathered with his disciples for that meal. And he redefined what God's love looked like. And He took the bread of that meal. And He gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat this. For this is now my body, which is given for you. Jesus gave his body for you and me in his love. Do you believe it? Do you trust it? Do you receive it? At the end of the meal, he took the cup and he gave thanks to the Father and he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take and drink of this, all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus poured out his blood. That we could be set free, we could be restored to God because of His love. Do you believe it? Do you trust it? Do you receive it? And so we gather to receive these gifts the body, the blood. And we ask the Holy Spirit to do a work in us and through us to, to help us to receive that great love of God.